Make it. My name is Adam, and I'm your host. And uh, thank you for being here today to talk a little bit about the viral Jeffrey Keezer Facebook post where he talks about current students who can't be bothered to show up on time for things with a boatload of excuses and how that stuff wouldn't have flown some years ago. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. And uh, I also want to get to the MLC, because the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, is suing Pandora. And uh, they say that Pandora has grossly uh, miscalculated the earnings for artists. And they believe that, uh, that that warrants a lawsuit. The MLC, for those of you who don't know, Mechanical Licensing Collective is a government organization formed to make sure that artists get their mechanical royalties uh, for recordings. And, you know, I'm not sure how connected all the lobbying that's been going on in Congress is to the formation of the MLC. That probably warrants some research, but I'd be willing to bet that uh, over the last handful of years, the, the artists who've really led the way in talking about the pay structures uh, from streaming companies and uh, the lack of fairness towards artists. People like Maria Schneider, who, who've actually gone in and, and uh, testified in Congress, but also people like Taylor Swift, who are like these massive artists who have also kind of publicly talked about this and re-recorded some of their music so they can own their own masters and all this stuff so that they can make a little more money on streaming. Um... So the MLC has decided that they will sue Pandora. Pandora is one of the companies that Maria Schneider would talk about a lot. For those of you who don't know Maria, uh, Maria is a composer out of New York City, Grammy-winning artist many times over for both jazz and classical music. Uh, She is originally from Wyndham, Minnesota, and is one of my favorite composers on the planet. I love her music. I love playing her music. I love listening to her music. I've had the pleasure of playing with her conducting in two different scenarios. One as a student, which doesn't really count, as we all know, when we're putting together our artist bios. If you're listing people you played with in college, that's lame. Uh, but also, I played with her as a professional because she conducted the Minnesota, uh, the Jasmine Orchestra, which is like the big nonprofit, big band in Minneapolis that I played with for a handful of shows near the end of my time in Minneapolis. They finally figured out that I could play and started calling me. They got to be a soloist for uh, for Maria in on her music, both as a student and as a pro, which was really cool. And I don't know if she's just throwing platitudes, but she was like, I really love your playing, and if I ever form a band out here, I'll call you. You know, um, I did, I like, I think I interacted with her uh, in person a few different times. I'm not even sure if she, like, remembered that I was the same person that she had interacted with in the past. It just is what it is. But she's an awesome person. She's been really fighting hard for uh, making sure that artists get paid fairly for their wages or for their uh, streams. She, up until recently, doesn't have any music on Spotify. And, and you know, I, I went and searched. It doesn't have any music on streaming at all. Like, she, you, you can buy her music through Artist Share, and that's it. She was kind of like, she was the founder, co-founder, or the first artist. I don't know if she was a co-founder or not. She was the first artist on Artist Share. 
And Artishare was like the very first crowdfunding platforms before like Kickstarter and before Indiegogo and GoFundMe and all those companies. Uh, Artishare was basically like you can buy uh, the artistic process from the artist. So you can see the making of the album. You can maybe go out to dinner with the artist if you buy a certain level package. You can, you know, go bird watching with Maria Schneider. You know, I always paid attention to her different campaigns that she was running so i'd always pre-order her albums because the only way to listen to them was to actually buy them uh so i own all of her music um but recently i noticed that there's some of her stuff on spotify with a check mark and i don't know if that those are like teasers to try and get people to go to her records because there's only one song per record or if that's just like somebody uploaded her stuff without her knowledge and she's like trying to get it down which could easily be the case but that's neither here nor there. Uh, she's been fighting in government, uh, testifying to try and hold companies like Pandora uh, accountable. And the MLC, this government organization formed in the last couple of years. I did an episode called The MLC is a Game Changer for Artists because it's actually it's a free organization. You can join it. It's free and they'll just find you money that, that, you, that you're owed, which is really sweet. I think it's really like the the beginning of something that could be really helpful for artists in the long run. This company has now decided to sue Pandora, so we'll see what happens with that. I'll continue to update it. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about this viral post on the book of Face, which I guess I could pull up on my computer as I talk. It's um, by this guy, Jeffrey Kieser, and Jeffrey Kieser is a piano player. Um, he, you know, he says in his post, I teach at one of the, you know, preeminent, the best universities on the planet for music whose students are supposedly going to go out and become professional. I'll read it to you in a second. So, sorry for the pause. It went pretty viral for being like a jazz musician's post. <laughs> Jeffrey Kieser is an amazing uh, keyboard player. He's originally from Wisconsin. I don't want to get this wrong. He's originally from Wisconsin. His father was a band director, like a really well-known band director in, in Wisconsin. And, you know, he's toured all around with a lot of different players. Uh, he had a band with a guy named Joe Locke, who I got to hang with uh, a few times while I was in college. Uh, Joe's an amazing vibraphone player. So the Jeffrey Jeffrey Keezer Joe Locke uh, is is the name of their group. I think Jeffrey Keezer Joe Locke Quintet or something. But Jeffrey is uh, you know he's a working musician. He's somebody who who you know is out gigging late at night and also getting up early for his classes to teach. Um, so I'll just read you this post quick and then when then we can talk about it because i think this is a real interesting conversation to be having uh, i teach at one of the preeminent hardest to get into music schools in the world with supposedly the cream of the crop the supposedly uh throwing a little shade there uh the cream of the crop of music students intent on having a career in music when they graduate yet they can't be bothered to show up on time for a 9 30 a.m class nothing but lame excuses the trains were messed up was hanging at smalls until 3 a.m my heater is broken ad nauseum. And when they do show up a half hour late, if at all, they haven't practiced and are unprepared. So I ask you students, how do you expect to have a career when you graduate? 
if you can't get up in the morning? How are you going to make a 6 a.m. lobby call on tour to get to the airport for an 8 a.m. flight? The staying up all night and sleeping on the plane thing gets old fast, and so does your body. That's super real. How are you going to make a 10 a.m. recording session that starts at 10 a.m.? I'm telling you, nobody cares that you live in Jersey or upstate or Queens or wherever people commute from. I commute my ass up. Uh, He goes, I commute, and my ass was up at 6 a.m. to be at work on time. This culture of everybody gets an A, quote-unquote, everybody gets a medal, quote-unquote, regardless of students' blatant disrespect for their lesson plans and their teachers, we have lives too, and we have play late gigs at night and still somehow manage to get up in the morning to take our kids to school and get on work, get to work on time. So I, I like, you know, I got kids and, and I'm a professor at a university and I still am a active performer. And so I, like that, some of this resonates for sure, uh, is not sustainable back to tough love because it was still love. My mentors and bosses gave it to me straight. If I was out of line, it might've hurt my feelings for a day or two, but then I got my shit together. Students, if you're serious about wanting a career in music, when you graduate, then get your act together. Practice your assignments, do the work, and show up. Thanks. Okay, cool. So, yeah, let's uh, let's break it down a little bit. I don't necessarily disagree. I also think that uh, just because we were raised a certain way doesn't mean everybody else has to be raised that way. And let's talk for a second about um, this culture of everybody gets an A or everybody, everybody gets a medal. Uh, it's a tough one. I'm not giving everybody A's in my classes. In my ensembles, if people are regularly showing up, everybody's getting an A. And when somebody has some kind of reason they can't be at rehearsal, typically I'm emailed ahead of time. And typically it's for some good reason. Uh, A student is sick, a student, you know has a job interview because my students aren't music majors. So there's a pretty big difference between what I'm dealing with and, and, uh, and what Jeffrey Keezer is dealing with. But the academic integrity side is, is very much the same. They're taking a class at a university and they're, they're doing my ensembles and I want to push them to be great. So, you know, the tough love thing resonates with me and I have had to tell some students, look, I'm not willing to compromise X, Y, and Z because we did have this conversation already. I did warn you. I did let you back into the ensemble and then you did this thing where you ghosted us again, right? Like I've had that conversation with a student recently and I might have to have that conversation with another student soon because they just keep not showing up and giving me lame excuses. (laughs) It's like, you know, if you want to be here and they talk about how much they love and how much they want to be there. Like if you want to be there then you got to be there. So all this, like I, I understand, uh, but you know, the, everybody gets an A thing and the, everybody gets a metal thing. I've got two boys. They are six and eight. And, uh, my, my boy Hobbs and Augie, uh, my boy Hobbs just did a ski race, um, called the Barnalop, but it's a little, little kid's ski race. He's six years old. Okay, and he's an intense little dude, so he's competitive. He's getting after it. He's passing a whole bunch of people. He wanted to do the 2K race instead of the 1K race. He's getting after it. Uh, his attitude of get after itness was unaffected by whether or not medals. I shouldn't say that. His willingness to go there in the first place, knowing that he would get a medal no matter what, that de- I think it definitely increased his willingness to get there and 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 do the thing. But, you know, I had a conversation with my boys. I said, look, you guys are still young. There's no reason to have winners and losers at this stage. 
you're eight, seven, six years old. Augie's almost old enough for winners and losers. Augie's eight. So he's going to start playing basketball soon. There's going to be winners and losers. And that those are important lessons to learn. How to, how to lose graciously, how to win graciously, how to lose and learn, how to win and learn. These are all really important lessons. And uh, I played a lot of sports growing up, and, and those were valuable lessons for me in life, for sure. But I don't, I don't think that anybody's trying any less hard because everyone gets a medal at the end of the race when you're six, seven years old. I just don't think, I just don't think it matters. I think it's kind of lame uh, that we're always calling that out because there's no lack of competition in this world and people are going to learn that regardless. Uh, as they get a little bit older, the participation trophies go away and then it becomes about a little more about competing and winners and losers. Uh, and I'm all right with that. I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think we have to have some sort of grit in life to make this thing work. I do also think that you know if we're going to get back to to academia and the students that are getting their undergraduate degrees right now, these students went through middle school and high school. Some of them, depending on where they were during a global pandemic where they watched the TV ticker numbers go up of the number of people dying from this crazy disease. They were forced to stay inside for a long time. Everybody was scared. I, I don't think there were like that many people who rebelled against it in the early, early days. It was just like, whoa, what is this? Everybody's like, what is this? Everybody's locking down. Everybody's wiping down groceries and stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, to have the world kind of split in two in terms of like, you know, people believing that it's a thing and people not believing that it's a thing, people believing that the vaccination will help, people believing that the vaccination won't help. And just seeing this online back, just back and forth, this dystopian, like, very polarized world that we introduced our young people to at an early age. Um, one of my students said it interestingly. We were on tour a couple of years ago. And uh, this, is my, this is a student named Noah Barry Player. Shout out to to Noah. And uh, I said, "Why?" I said, "When I was in college, I was full of optimism. I was campaigning for John Kerry. You know, I was trying to make the world a better place. I was practicing all the time. I had all this optimism about making a career in music, and." It seems like you guys aren't in that space. You know, what What? What prompted it was somebody said, um, somebody said, it doesn't matter if you recycle or not. And I went, come on, come on. We're recycling at our house. We're crazy recyclers at our house. We'll go to the recycling plant and drop it off ourselves and pay the extra fee if we have to. And he said, there's no one person, a hundred people, a thousand people. It doesn't make a difference if they recycle or not. And I was like, what are you talking about? And these my, you know, my students are like, they're engineers. So a lot of them will go and work in like plastics factories and stuff. Like there's a plastics factory in Michigan that some of my students go work at when they graduate. And they go, they go, he goes, you know, ma like massive companies are just dumping tons of pollution into the ocean every single day. Still, uh, there is nothing that you individually can do. Like, un unless that stuff ends, like, 
There's nothing you can do about pollution. That's it. You might as well just accept it. Might you know, just just uh you might as well not even bother to recycle. And that's what made me go like, what? Uh, like how could you think like that? I was so full of optimism when I was in your shoes. Um, and he said, he said, uh, you know, it's like we've been watching Rome burn, except we have really good Wi-Fi. You know, so they can just, they can watch it all happen. It's not like Rome is burning somewhere across the world and they hear about it in the news of a few days later. It's like they're watching our country split into two politically due to, you know, over the pandemic stuff. And they're watching major corporations get away with hiking prices. They're watching inflation. They're watching their parents struggle financially. They're watching Rome burn. But the difference is that they have real good Wi-Fi so they can, they can take a close look. And so naturally students today view the world differently than we did when we were kids. There wasn't really like when I was a young kid, there wasn't really as much of a, like a big thing. It was like desert storm. We, we, we had desert storm collection cards. We had cards we collected like military people. They had like baseball cards for desert storm. The more I think about that, the more fucked up that is, but we had, we, we collected those cards. So, so they did a good job of propagandizing, I guess. But uh, there wasn't a, a global pandemic. There wasn't a great recession yet. Right? Like that happened the year after I graduated from college. And I think a lot of students see people like me. I'm almost 40. I'm 39 years old. People in college see people like me who still have $120,000 in student loan debt. That's correct. That's how much money I have in student loan debt. That's a whole other thing. We could talk about that. That's a whole other thing. And they're like, I'm not going to do that. I I don't like, fuck all of this. I don't want any part of whatever you guys have going on, you know, which is a completely understandable reaction. So when students are like, I need to be protective of myself. I need to be protective of my mental health. I actually had this thing come up, so I can't sacrifice this other thing to come to your thing. Uh, in some ways, that's got to be seen as a healthy thing. Is it not? It's got to be seen as a healthy thing. When students are vouching for themselves, I need some time. I need some time away. I need to get myself together. I got students that are on meds, you know, that that like if they might go through a med change or something and and there's like some real serious mental health issues that can surround have like we know I know that because you know I know I have people in my family that take medicine and when we've tried to wean and change the dose or change the the type of drug because of pregnancy or whatever it has serious effects and so we could sit there and go Students today are lazier than we were when we were kids. We could say that. But I don't know that I actually see that. I see a lot of buy-in from a lot of my students. And I see them interfacing with work differently. But I don't see them working any less hard. 
you know, it's interesting. Like Jeffrey, I don't know Jeffrey Keezer personally. Jeffrey's talks about, you know, I was hanging at three, I was hanging, you know, at Smalls until 3 a.m. Whoever's hanging at Smalls until 3 a.m. At, at that jam session, meeting people and playing and learning, like you're getting as much, you're learning as much, if not more at that thing than you are in school. Like straight up, let's, let's talk about it. You're meeting people, you're networking, you're showing that you can play or you're learning to play. You're meeting people that are in a similar situation with you, people who might be the people that you end up playing with professionally after you graduate. Like that person could literally drop out of school and just keep going to that jam session and probably make a career in music happen and learn the necessary tools to do that. Now, enrolling in something, committing to something, like there's value in that. There's lessons in that for sure. There are lessons in that. We, if, When we commit to something, we should commit to it. That's a tough lesson to learn. That's a tough lesson because you decide like, oh, well, I just don't like it anymore. It's like being a parent. You know, I think about this with Augie and Hobbs because Augie takes piano lessons. And there were some times it was like, I don't want them. I don't want them. I don't want them. And I thought, look, you don't know what you want and what you don't want yet. You're six, seven, you're five, six, seven years old. This is good for you. I know that it's good for you. It's like, I don't want to eat broccoli. I don't want to eat stuff. This is a parent's job. This is a parent's job is to say, I know what's good for you. These are the things that I need you to do. There's also all this flexibility surrounding things you want to explore, things that you're interested in, things that your friends are interested in that now you want. It's like, there's all kinds of flexibility around that. But look, practice the piano. It's only 10 or 15 minutes. I'll sit with you. Let's do it together. Because someday you might decide, look, I really love music and gosh I'm so glad my parents let me you know made me continue to take piano lessons or gosh I'm so glad that my dad took the time to play catch with me after school every day which is something Hobbs and I do basically every day and Augie a little bit but Hobbs is like really dad can we play catch dad can we play catch dad can we play catch Hobbs is six that's that's practicing right and and, and these are these are my kids so they're young we're not talking about college kids I suppose but there are a lot of parallels between being a professor and dealing with a student and being a parent and dealing with a child students aren't children but they don't know what they don't know yet and we as professors of music have learned an unreal amount just being around for 10 or 15 or 20 years longer than our students and that's certainly how I feel uh, and sometimes I do feel like students don't trust that we know what we're talking about. And I remember, like, I remember, you know, John Daniel, my, my teacher, my trumpet teacher in my undergrad saying, you don't trust me. And I went, well, I do. Like, what do you mean? I don't trust. You? It's like, you know, his point was I wasn't working on the stuff that he was wanting me to work on. I was practicing a lot. I loved to practice. That was not a problem. But I wasn't fully committed to the things he was telling me to work on, which would make me a better trumpet player, which would in turn, it's like super, he was super into fundamentals and trumpet exercises. 
and less into like, let's practice this tune and play changes. And maybe, you know, teachers also change and adapt based on their students. But really the stuff I wanted to work on was the stuff that he didn't want to teach me yet. I think he really wanted to make sure I could play the, play the instrument first. But, you know, sometimes students maybe don't trust the professor. And so there's a, but I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that trust is and and respect is necessarily deserved no matter who you are. I think that there's an element there's there is a time period where you have to build a reputation of being someone who cares about your students, build a reputation of being someone who works hard for your students and gets them opportunities and cheers them on when they win and when that is when that becomes obvious to the student the mutual respect is is there it's not hard to to get to that place it's like i respect my students they respect me and there's obviously some jibbing and jabbing and some joking and um in a lot of ways like when you get to that point with students where they're like making memes about you it's it's it feels like it's in love, but I probably also say dumb things sometimes that they want to meet up. So yeah, uh, <laughs> how are you going to get up in the morning and start an 8 a.m. flight? How are you going to you know start a 10 a.m. recording session that starts at 10 a.m.? You know, punctuality is such an important part of being an artist. And I was just talking about this with somebody last night uh, that like. I that this is something I never had a problem with. I always showed up no matter what. Influenza, I mean like to 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 a fault probably, but I always showed up. And I always played Pops and Madville and go, make sure that I'm, you know, like running to get to where I need to be on time. I wasn't filling my day with unnecessary things. I was focused on on the music. I was focused on the music. Um, but I also didn't live through a freaking pandemic. In high school, I got to have those developmental years socially that a lot of students didn't get to have, that students maybe experienced those developmental years on the internet. And we all know what the internet can do to your mental health. I don't know if we all know, but there have been boatloads of studies that say we're more depressed when we look at the internet more often. Surprise, surprise, comparing yourself to other people is a really horrible thing to do. And the internet is just full of opportunities to compare yourself to others. It's also fun and there's tons of art and it's, and it can be really inspiring. It's like something you really have to work to balance and be intentional about. But when you're in high school or middle school and you've got a phone and it's a pandemic and your parents are working all day on their computers and you got nothing to do. Yeah, I was lucky. I'm so lucky that my boys were small enough that they, you know, Hobbs was like really young. But Augie, we just kept home from school one extra year. And so he's a little bit older for being in second grade, but not that much. You know, he's eight, second grade, crushing it. Amazing reader. Reading way ahead of whatever materials his teacher is sending out. He's reading these huge books on Greek mythology, Norse mythology. Smart little kiddo making all his making all these comics too. He loves to make comics and draw. 
I'm very lucky that they didn't have to experience school online as middle and high schoolers. Those were incredibly crucial years. They were brutal socially. They were brutal years. I I uh, can't say I'm proud of who I was or what it th- everything that I did during that time. Uh, and in a lot of ways, socially, middle school was was very hard. But it's not the same thing as uh, those are developmental years. Those are developmental experiences. Those are experiences that help you learn to cope with the world. And that's what our young people didn't get for three years. And I don't want to harp on this too much because because my students are awesome. They're doing great work and not everybody is medicated. You know, we start to think like everyone's... It makes sense for people to get the help that they need. And it makes sense for professors to be... For professors to have empathy when students are working to get what they need to be able to function the way to be able to function in society to be able to interface with society in a quote unquote normal in a normal fashion woo it's kind of heavy it's kind of heavy I'm glad we talked about it uh, you know I'll see if I'm missing anything here the excuses thing. So just stop making excuses. That that is true. If you're dealing with something, you're dealing with something. Be upfront about it. If you're late because you're sleeping through your alarm, you need to do better at managing your schedule. You need to be better at time management. Time management is a massive skill and I think it's one that we as university professors with students have to teach our students because they've never had to do it themselves before. So it's a new skill that students are learning. But you can't stay up until 5 a.m. playing video games or say, well, I was just really, I was just excited about this and so I couldn't sleep and so then I slept for 14 hours and slept through my alarms. It's like, just get it together. Get it together. That is unexcusable. That's not an excuse, right? That's not an excuse. We can draw a line somewhere. And I think that there can be balance between, look, get your act together. This is tough love. And also like approaching all of that with compassion and with understanding and with openness. My students are performing at the Ironwood Theater tonight in Ironwood, Michigan. That's right up in the UP. I'm drinking out of my cool dad mug. I got my uh, mushroom blend. Yep. We're going to be playing at Ironwood Theater tonight. I got to clean the Airbnb. My family's out of town. They're out seeing Jesse Diggins racing the World Cup in Minnesota. And I'm home with the pups who maybe you can hear squeaking outside my door because Murphy really wants to go for a walk. So we're going to make that happen. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Next week. I've got Joanne Parker on the podcast. Joanne's an amazing blues and roots singer, songwriter. And we talk a lot about what it's like to be a woman in the industry and the kind of hurdles and struggles and unacceptable behaviors that Joanne has uh, dealt with over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years of really chasing the thing. 
It's a great conversation. Great conversation. It was fun to talk to her. Uh, it was another one where we spoke in person. So we went out to, uh, I was in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, uh, or a week ago, a couple weeks ago, and uh, sat and spoke with her. Hey, listen, if you dig the podcast, please tell a friend and hit follow wherever you listen. If you're listening on like Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio or whatever, you just, you just follow the show. That helps me and it shows up in my little numbers and it shows me that more people are digging this thing and listening to it. And I really appreciate you all listening and I'm glad you are digging it. I'll uh, keep digging into some more stuff soon uh, and we'll probably give some kind of update on the, the lawsuit with Pandora and Mechanical Licensing Collective. My dog is a hound and she's like, I can hear her trying to turn the doorknob. She's like way too smart she's like really dumb too it's wild how you can be like so doofusy and so smart at the same time that's my dog murphy all right peace and love everybody thanks for listening see you next week Daydreaming to the day.